So tonight I wanted to speak a little bit, in the beginning anyways, in a certain sense, about the power of the mind. Um, I don't know if you've noticed in your own experience just how powerful this mind can be. Uh, If we just look at some of the events of our lives, some of the things that we've decided to do and we've done. Why did we, how could we do it? Because of the power of the mind. Sometimes we did things that were really based in wisdom, kindness, compassion, and there may have been a very beautiful result. Other times, through this power of the mind, we may have done things that created confusion, that were harmful, painful. Why? Because of the power of the mind. When we look at the world, and we see all of the different inventions that have happened over time, some of them really helpful, beautiful, make our lives so much easier. Some of them quite destructive, harmful, cause a lot of pain. And all of it coming about through the capacities that we have within our minds. And so there's really, you know, two ways, two directions the mind can go. And one was very beautifully uh, taught to me by Hogan-san, the Zen master who gave me my name. Um, Hogan-san is a very brilliant, impish, playful, Zen-stick teacher. You know, he has both the side of and he also can be so playful in life. Uh, I used to organize sessions for him or retreats for him. And as a result of that, I would you know, spend some time in daily life situations with him. And there was always a learning. There was, it seemed like no situation where he wouldn't turn to me and say something. And I go, right. <laughs> and so one day I was taking him to the airport. He was departing. And we arrived at the airport. That in itself had been quite an adventure, but anyhow, I'll skip the details of that. But we arrived at the airport and loaded the, his luggage onto a cart. And, you know, he, in his playful way, starts pushing the cart. And he, he doesn't push just in one line going towards where he needs to go, but he's kind of wheeling around, you know, just playing as he goes. And, you know, if people smile, whatever, if there's an encounter, he's there for it. And so anyhow, we get into line, we're standing in line, we go through the line, and we get to the front where he goes to check in. And the man behind the counter very soon realized that this wasn't an ordinary being. And somehow that made him a bit uncomfortable. So the man started asking me all of the questions. And he's asking me, you know, all these questions which I'm answering. And then he gets to the point where legally he has to speak to Hoganson. So that's, you know, around the security questions. So he's asking him, did you pack your bags yourself? Have they been out of your possession? Um, And he also asked him, are you carrying any dangerous weapons? And so Hoganson looks at him, and you know, he's this little petite man, and he goes, no. And then um, he, he 
pauses for a moment and he turns to me and he says, he asked me if I had any dangerous weapons. And then he points to his head and he says, and this is the most dangerous weapon of all. (laughs) And it can be. Now, if we don't know how to be with this mind in a skillful way, we can do a lot of harm really quickly. I mean, just look at a day when you're in a bad mood. And just look at how quickly you can cause friction in the world. You know, it can happen really quick. Now, what if during the course of the day, you're behind, say, a powerful weapon, and you're just pissed? You know, how quickly damage can happen. But there's also the beautiful aspect of the power of this mind that we can turn it towards the qualities of loving-kindness, compassion, that we can, we can use this mind to wake up and free ourselves from this delusion that we so often feel trapped in, caught in. It is this, this same mind that can be so confused, that can be awake, present, And just to name one of these qualities, um, Mingyur Rinpoche, my Tibetan teacher, often talks about how loving-kindness is more powerful than the atom bomb. Now, if everybody's mind was abiding in loving-kindness, there would be no person to press the button on that bomb. And that's just one wholesome quality. So for me, it kind of was like, whoa, okay, recognizing that there is this powerful weapon or this weapon or this power in the mind of great capacity, it kind of is like, hmm, what's going to be helpful here? What's going to be useful? And how can we really utilize the power that comes with having a mind. And so I'd like to go to a teaching from the Buddha where he once said, there's two things that partake of knowledge, calm and insight. When calm is developed, so is mind. And through developed mind, lust is abandoned. And when insight is developed, so is wisdom or right understanding. And through developed insight, ignorance is abandoned. And so, these qualities of calm and insight, which we work with so much in our practice, are the very qualities that can help us to abandon ignorance and to use this mind in a wise and skillful way. And so this is what I would really like to explore tonight, is this balance between calm and insight. Actually, there's different ways, I think, um, that I might phrase calm and insight 
And one that comes to mind is Patricia and I were once teaching a retreat and we were searching for a, a title that embraces something of this. And what we came up with was the relaxed openness that invites wisdom. And I think this speaks a little bit to the process that we find ourselves in, in nurturing calm and insight. A relaxed openness, you know, a sense of a mind that is steady and stable, and yet not tight within that, not fixing on something that's really relaxed within that. And out of that, out of a really stable mind, there is an invitation to wisdom through awareness, through inquiry, through investigation. In a more simple way, there's just a sense of tranquility and alertness that bring about wisdom. When we have a deep peace, calm, that balanced with the mind that is aware, alert, we find that wisdom dawns. And so, in whichever ways that we might frame it, these are qualities that really utilize in a very skillful and helpful way the power of the mind. So first, taking a look at calmness, tranquility, the relaxed openness. We might also relate to this through concentration. And within a definition of concentration can be the stable mind, the mind that is undistracted. And so when we're really looking at uh, nurturing calmness, it isn't that we want to discover the state of calm and then hang on to that state. That is very fragile. And you know that is really conditioned. But what we can look to is a mind that is stable with whatever is happening. A mind that is steady with whatever appearances arise. And so sometimes calmness there is a little bit deceptive because we think everything has to be quiet. But in essence, what needs to be steadfast is awareness, the recognition of awareness. Mindfulness needs to be present. A steadiness of mind with experience. And so just a few things that really help towards this stable mind that I have found. And you know, 
I want to say Buddhist teachings are, are really ripe with how much calm is need, how much stability. And actually, I was only just reading from Ajahn Chah where someone said, how much stability do we really need? And he said, enough stability to have presence of mind. And then on another end of it, you can hear teachers who will teach jhana practice, absorption practice, as a means of gaining that stability. So there's great debates on it. But what I'm sharing tonight is not about debate. It's about what I found helpful and useful in my own experience, because that's what I can speak from. And so... With this steadiness of mind, the stability, what I found really helpful to know that awareness is something that is inevitable. In any moment when we are alive and the mind is undistracted, awareness is there. there's this natural knowingness. We see this with great simplicity in with taking something like hearing that can be a little bit more uncomplicated. In a moment of hearing where there's a sound, it hits the ear door, the knowing is there. The awareness is there. Awareness is there in any moment when there's a, a sight, a sound, a thought, an emotion, in order to be known, awareness is there. We don't create it. We don't fabricate it. We just learn to recognize it. And so this for me in just seeing how simple it can be, you know, in a moment of touching. I didn't have to do anything to create the knowing of that experience. In just the sitting here, you know, feeling our body touching the earth, feeling the posture in the body, just when we're undistracted, we are aware of this. Sometimes there might not be an object that's so distinctive, But awareness is still there. This knowingness is there. It's just naturally there. What happens? We get lost. We don't see it. We don't notice it. And so our practice becomes that of mindfulness or the memory to remember, to be aware, to notice, to be present. But if we see that this this awareness is natural, is there, and we don't have to create it, then we don't have to get so tight trying to be present. I mean, how much time have we spent, you know, feeling like, well, let's jack up the mindfulness right now. Where if we're going to do that, really, it's just let the mind be open, relaxed, present, here. We don't have to create it. We simply remember. 
So it's natural. If we relax, it's easier to notice. So that's, you know, and in, in our lives, we often feel like we're so tight or so tense. We, I mean, we're living in a world that's moving really fast. And it's not hard to get those shoulders creeping up and, you know, running along, doing the next thing. You know, there's such momentum. It, I mean, it, it's a phenomenal. And I, I mean, in my life, often I find that there's just a, a momentum with doing good things. You know, for whatever reason, the world we live in, and maybe it's always been this way, but we just see it in different ways in this time. But we're moving pretty quick here. And so, you know, if we resist that at all, there's tension, there's tightness, you know, and the, the shoulders and the, you know, the contraction and, and the, the, the doing. You know, we really move into that doing that Patricia was speaking about. And the getting, the having, the, the becoming. And, um, but, you know, it's okay. Because as soon as we become aware of that, just in that awareness itself, there can be a dropping. There can be a relaxing. You know, so there's a, a certain level of relaxation we can really distinctively work with. You know, so we notice we're really tight. Oh yeah, relax. But we can also find when we do that, that we hit a level where there's kind of like a tightness that we say relax and it's like, sorry, I can't do that. You know, and we, we can feel quite bound by it. But whew, just the sense of relaxing with, relaxing with tension, relaxing with tightness, relaxing with fear, anxiety. You know, and what's that? What does that feel like? You know, that's just a a softening of being aware of, being with whatever is here. So in that way, it might not feel like, oh yeah, I'm really open now. But there's a relaxing, a softening, a being with whatever it is that's causing distress. So, relaxation, you know, just becoming aware of tension, not making it the enemy, but relaxing with the softening. With this is the quality of acceptance, of just that willingness of heart to let this be what it is, whatever it is. And this is really, if we can practice with no preferences, which isn't easy, it's easy for me to say, it's okay. (laughs) But, But if we can really let whatever it is that comes along be our teacher, then we can find a level of acceptance. And yes, it's not always nice. It's not always the way we want it to be. But it is what's here now. 
I think I talked a bit about this last week, how just being able to really let this moment speak to you as it is. This is our teacher. This, this is where the truth can be seen, can be known, can be understood. And so, acceptance, even in the turmoil. I'll never forget, I'll say one brief moment, (laughs) there may have been others, but one moment where I had been so caught in anger for a period of time. And, you know, just kept, just kept finding myself back in that um, feeling of anger. And, and then, you know, it was like I would practice with it in order to get rid of it. So I, I kept doing that over and over. But then one day there was a moment of anger where it was like, okay, this is here. If this is here for the rest of my life, if this is my life teaching, I want to be here for it. No, if this is what I have to work with for the rest of my life, it's okay. And just in that moment, it was such a shift because I wasn't caught in wanting something different, wanting things to be different than what they are. This is a teaching from Sayada Utejaniya, uh, a Burmese monk. He says, people say that it's tough to maintain awareness. Actually, it's not that difficult to have or to maintain awareness. People only think it's difficult when they don't have awareness of their preferred object. Ever true? We can have such preferences. I mean, we can even get so attached to um, the breath, or maybe it's to hearing. You know, just some object that we really prefer to be with. And if we don't have that, we're in turmoil. But just seeing, can there be this element of acceptance? There's also a sense of receptivity when we're stabilizing the mind, when you know, we're looking towards tranquility, calmness. A sense of receiving experience. Not just where we're not so out front of the experience, but just this settling back, relaxing into openness relaxing into receiving this moment as it is. So sometimes our body posture is really helpful. You know, you see getting tight, leaning forward, the getting, or just this sense of not collapsing, which I'll get to in a minute, um, with this relaxation, but just a sense of receiving receiving the breath, receiving sounds, not needing to go out to, but just receive 
whatever appears in the field of awareness and being undistracted, being present. Can also have a sense of listening, just listening. You know, when we're really listening to someone, the mind is naturally relaxed. Because if we're listening and we're trying too hard to listen, there's that tension. And we don't hear. You know, there's such a tension inside that we become bound in the experience. But when we're deeply listening, there's that receptivity. Oh, like this. It's just like this right now. Teaching ourselves to listen in life. It's it's a great way to be. You know, whether we're listening to our own personal experience, listening to, you know, the sensations pulsating through the body, listening to the thoughts in the mind, but not involved, entrenched in, but hearing the tone of, being present, being aware of the thoughts, being aware of the moods of the mind as they sweep through awareness. Just letting that all be, be known. And with this, we also need trust. Because if we don't trust, we can't relax. If we don't trust, we'll just be caught in our conceptual mind. So, what helps us to trust? I mean, we can live in a world where we feel so bound by fear, feels unsafe, insecure. But what happens when we start to have moments where there's a moment of mindfulness of anger, there's a moment of mindfulness of sadness, and we aren't lost in it. We start to feel the power of it. We start to feel the power of awareness, mindfulness. I'm using these two words interchangeably. just in case it's confusing you. So we start to feel the power that's there in just letting things be known, be seen, be felt. And we start to trust in this. This helps us then to be able to relax back, to be able to be receptive, to be able to stay present. So, looking first on the side of calmness, tranquility, the stable mind. And now, looking towards the insight side, side, or the quality of investigation, alertness, awakeness. 
Because if we have too much calmness, too much peace, we can really get stuck there. And I'd like to share a teaching from uh, a Thai woman named Upasaka Ki. This is from her book, Pure and Simple. She says, So when you practice, you have to observe in your meditation how you can make the mind still. Once it does grow still, it tends to get stuck there, or it may become empty without any knowledge or anything, quiet, disengaged, at ease for a while, but without any discernment to accompany it. But if you can get discernment to accompany your concentration, that's when you really benefit. You'll see things all the way through and be able to let them go. If you're too heavy on the side of either discernment or stillness, you can't let go. The mind may come to know this or that, but it latches on to knowledge, and then it knows still other things and latches on to them too, or else it simply stays perfectly quiet and latches on to that. So we may have seen in our practice when things get really still and peaceful, and we like it, and let's just stay here. This is nice. This is beautiful. This is why I practice. (laughs) To be calm, peaceful. But if it doesn't have wisdom, you can be sure it's going to disappear. So, might be nice, but can we really bring in this quality of insight? And this stillness, this quietness, is really beautiful and helpful if it is balanced with this quality of inquiry, investigation. This, to me, was where practice got really interesting. You know, to, oh, to see that in moments where there is this presence of mind that Ajahn, Ajahn Chah spoke about, you know, just the stability of presence of mind, and then inquiry, interest. It just lights up that field of awareness. And you don't just see peace. You see the nature of peace. You don't just see stillness. You see the nature of stillness. You can see the nature of reality. And that is much more interesting than being stuck in stillness. So this quality of how we get to insight, how we get to seeing the nature of reality, comes through an interest in the mind. Interest that is very much, again, like when we're listening to people and we're interested. You know, it's like the lights are on. There's room for somebody to say something where understanding can come, where we can see things or hear things or be present in a new way, learn something new. We need interest any time we do something new. You know, we can't do it if we're not interested. I mean, just try to memorize something you're not interested in. It's like there's, in my experience, there's nowhere to hang it. You know, it just doesn't stay. There's nothing. And, you know, it's like trying to memorize something. 
it's like you just go into mechanics, road. It doesn't, it's not helpful. But when interest is there, it, it is, it's like the turning on the lights in the mind. And that's when we can see clearly. So sometimes that turning on the light in the mind is very subtle, really non-analytical investigation. It's simply that brightness, that interest, that looking towards experience as it is, just to see the nature of reality. And so sometimes it's like that. Sometimes we arouse more of this quality through really asking questions. You know, and so one of the things that happened in my own practice was that at a certain point, I felt like I could sit pretty easily, but in a complete fog, you know, and not know what was really happening. At the end of the sitting, it's like you get up, you walk away, and you could have been doing anything. You know, it would be like driving your car mindlessly and not knowing where the scenery that you're passing through or the, the people around you or the cars around you. are just blindly driving. That's what practice can be like. But there was a pleasant tone to it. And then, you know, it was getting interested in what's happening here? What's happening in this moment? Where's the mind now? You know, just simple little question. Where's the mind now? And, and then it's not like you try to analyze, figure out, think about. You look. Oh, I've been lost in thought for half an hour. Or wherever we've been. doesn't matter. But it, it, it has this way of really turning the mind to the experience. And with that openness, we want, when we ask questions, we're not asking a question to prove the answer that we already know. This is really painful. And this is where we can also get stuck in the thinking that we know. I mean, this is one of the hazards of uh, our exploration in Buddhist teachings, is that we can hear things and believe that we know. And we have an intellectual, conceptual understanding, which has its place. I don't want to diminish that, because it can really help to give a context. It can help, help to give information that turns the mind in the right direction. But if we stop short of coming to know the truth for ourselves, then we have built a barrier. We are restricted. We are, are locked in on the conceptual level. And so when we ask questions, we really want to ask in a way that we can look directly and immediately in our own experience. We want the questioning to be unburdened, light, And what I mean by that is if we're carrying ideas about what we should be seeing, whether it's a view that we have, whether it's a belief, whether, you know, we heard something from a teacher and we want to prove it, we already have some blinker on there. But we want to ask a question 
that challenges. You know, at times we can challenge our own perceptions because it might be colored by belief. You know, so sometimes asking a question, we're experiencing something in a certain way. Is there a belief that's present? No, that's a really helpful question if you're struggling in your practice. Is there some belief that's coloring my experience right now? Because very often when there's a sense of struggle, we have some idea about what practice should look like. And so when it doesn't meet that mark, we struggle, we fight, we want to make it different. So, you know, just, but we look directly in that moment. Is there some belief here? Is there some view, opinion about how things should be? Sometimes, you know, I'll be, I'll be practicing and have some sense of real conviction. And then I'll just challenge myself. Is that true? Is that right? Would somebody else see it the same way? And, you know, it just, and just looking to see. You know, it's like the, the question invites the openness to look. And it's the looking that's so important. The answer, if you're giving an answer, often it can be just on the conceptual level. You know? But if it, in the looking, our mind hits that place of wonder and interest and looking to the nature of reality, can often be what we see as indescribable. So at times, asking questions. And people often say, well, well, what kind of question? What should I ask? And this is where if we're, we want to ask it in present moment experience. So we find that we're in a, a state of calm, peace. We might ask the question, what is calmness? And then we we just look at our experience and we notice the qualities that are present. Or we might notice, we might ask the question, who's calm? And then we just look directly into the mind to see who's, who's relating to, who's believing that there's this calmness, who's experiencing, well, however it might be. If we look in the immediacy of our experience and let the questions come from the immediacy, so in moments of struggle, what am I hanging on to? Or where's the sense of I? Just looking to see what helps Bring that spaciousness in this moment. What opens the mind? It's a real, in a sense, a natural curiosity when we're paying attention. We don't have to go far. 
just this interest, investigation, discernment. So we work with the calmness and the interest. And out of that comes the insight. And insight is where we see into the nature of reality. It's where we see. We can have insights on different levels. We can have personal insights where there's just some level of seeing ourselves in a different way. There can be psychological insights. We understand you know, something that on a psychological level we've been struggling with. And there's kind of like a moment where there's more spaciousness. Or there's the Dharma insight, where we see into the nature of reality. And we can see this through anicca, dukkha, anatta, through impermanence, the unsatisfactory nature of experience, or the insubstantial nature of experience. And this insight that happens really happens from that, that calm mind, that stable mind that has this interest investigation. And we don't create the insight. So it's not as if we have to sit down and figure out impermanence or figure out the um, unsatisfactory nature of experience. It's not a figuring out process, but it's a seeing within our experience. And so this happens very naturally. We don't have to do it again. You know, Patricia was talking about this, how we're so wrapped in the doing. And it's not about all that doing that we bring to it. And when we don't do that, when we're not locked in that doing, it's all here to be seen, to be understood. Now. In our practice, we can go back and forth. You know, at sometimes we're really working with nurturing the tranquility, the calmness, the steadfastness. You know, and that is, again, moment by moment. You know, continuity being important, but continuity one moment at a time. And with the freshness of mind in each moment. You know, so that's a letting go of our agenda of continuity. But just, you know, just that willingness in any moment when we have the choice to come back, to be here. And letting, you know, the awareness come back to whatever is here. You know, whatever, whether it's body sensations, whether it's sounds, whether it's sights, whether it's thoughts, emotions, that's what we use to rest the mind upon. And then, when there feels like there is some um, presence of mind, just looking with interest, maybe dropping in a question, 
And with that stable mind, we're exp- what we're exploring is the Dharma. This mind-body experience, it's unfolding, the experience of this mind-body in relationship to the world. But we're coming to see it from the perspective of Dharma, not from our usual perspective of the conceptual mind. And so, we, you know, but if we go too far on the side of inquiry, investigation, what will happen? We just start thinking about, um, and the mind really can't land anywhere, and we get quite agitated and restless. And we see this happening, then just relax. The relaxed openness, just settling back, receiving. And then we find we start to get stuck. Oh, who's stuck? What's the mind latched onto? We look in our own experience going back and forth. And this nurtures the calm and insight. And this is where, with the calm and insight, we touch into the power of the mind in a useful, helpful, skillful way. And it's an exploration. Not any time we talk about balance, you know, the always it comes up that wanting to get perfection, wanting to be in perfect balance. But what we find as we practice, we go too far one way, we get slothful, we get spaced out, and then we see it. We learn from it. We recognize the stuckness. We bring in, right in that experience, we bring in the inquiry, the investigation, and then we, we're investigating, we're looking, and then we find that we're asking too many questions, and it's stirring up the mind, the mind's agitated. And then we relax, we see it. So we use you know, this factor of discernment to recognize when we get pulled too far one way or the other. But we learn from both. We learn from it all. And it's not that we need to try to make it perfect because that will lead to tension. Just letting it be a really alive, vital exploration. the relaxed openness that invites wisdom. Okay, Um, I think I have one more. This again is from Sayada Utejaniya. A strong, stable, and continuous samadhi develops for someone who has natural awareness of whatever experience that arises or for someone who sees everything as something to be aware of with wisdom. The mind will do its own work whether awareness is there or not. There without awareness, the mind will follow orders from defilements. But with, with right awareness, the mind will do the work of wisdom. And so this is the direction 
that we point the mind in, to do, to have awareness that does the work of wisdom. So let's just sit for a moment. So closing with the sharing of blessings. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.